You're listening to the Moms Working Overtime podcast, the community of women you've been searching to find for so long. We bring together our mamas in waiting, brand new moms, stay-at-home moms, working moms, and the moms who maybe just have a little bit more experience than the rest of us. We're all here for community, support, and finding ways to show up better for our families each and every day. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I hope you love what you find on today's episode. Welcome back to the Moms Working Overtime podcast and one of my favorite things that we do here, which is our interview series, because this gives me a chance. I know that you all get a little bit tired of just hearing from me all the time. And so through the interview series, I get the opportunity to bring on other incredible moms to share their stories, their experiences, their expertise. And today I was able to connect with this amazing mama on social media. We've been talking back and forth. I'm super excited with me today. Today, I have Brenda Batista. She's a speech language pathologist. She also juggles 4,000 other things. So mama, if you're listening right now and you do that, you are going to relate to her through her entire story. But Brenda, I'm so excited that you're here. I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, I'm Brenda. I'm a mama four speech language pathologist. We homeschool. We are just, I'm just embracing every single day of motherhood. I love sharing my journey with you guys and just sharing all the tips that I can share my knowledge on how to help you get your little one talking in a way that is not frustrating, but helps you enjoy the journey. Absolutely. And she has so many incredible strategies to share. You know, it's funny, Brenda, I was actually talking to my sister and I told her we both have little ones. And I was talking with her about all the things you've already taught me just in us talking back and forth. And I'm like, you're going to love her episode. I can't wait to release it. So I know she's not the only one. There's so many mamas that are going to listen and love this. And even for all of you mamas out there that just need a humility moment, Brenda and I are here to share with you that before we started recording, we're talking about how, man, those days when childcare falls through or the schedule gets completely thrown off. If you're a mama who's also trying to work and build a business or, you know, working a full-time job, we feel you. (laughs) We were just talking back and forth. You just, you just make it work. Exactly. Motherhood (laughs) is hard. It is hard. We got to give ourselves a lot of grace. A lot of grace. And let's, okay. So before we get started, Brenda, I have a question that I ask every single mama that I bring on here. And I want to hear from you as well. When you think back to before all this chaos, I know it's hard to imagine because now this is just your life and you've a hundred percent immersed yourself in it. But before you had your first child and just thinking back to who you were as a person and the expectations that you had, what was Brenda like before kids compared to now? And are you the type of mom that you expected yourself to be? So before kids, I was that perfectionist, had a plan A, didn't need a plan B because plan A was going to work. I was in control (laughs) of everything. And I just knew all my steps, you know? And so um, I actually ended up getting pregnant when I didn't plan it (laughs) because I'm married to my husband who is not a planner. So we (laughs) kind of know. It happens. I got I got pregnant in um in college. And so I became a mom. And so I was still that, you know, semi in control with one. But as I immersed myself more and more in motherhood and I started having more kids, I am I am I am not 
the mom that I thought I was going to be. I mean, I am in the in the in the sense that I am like fully immersed in motherhood. I I was born to be a mom. I tell people that I just love being a mom. You know, I am always with my kids. I am always like you know, researching and, and reading to them. And just, you know, I just love being a mom in that aspect. I am the mom that I thought I would be. However, I am not the perfectionist. Like my kids don't always match. You know, I don't run that tight shift that I thought I was going to run. Like we wake up at seven then we eat breakfast at this time. And then nap is at this time. You know, like we are many days on survival mode and how I said in the beginning, I have learned to give myself grace and I've learned to let go of some control and just roll with the punches, you know, because when sometimes I get stuck on this like perfectionist, like schedule that I created, it throws me off, you know, I it, it throws my day off and I'm like, oh, the nap time was supposed to be at 12 and it's not. And so point is that I am not that mom that I that I thought I would be, you know, like that Pinterest mom with all the activities and everyone, you know, never sporting a mom bun, always looking, you know, presentable. Yeah, that's that's not me anymore. <laughs> I relate to that so strongly. Brenda, I am I wouldn't even say an ex-perfectionist. I still fight all of those tendencies. Of They're course. still there. But I think that's one of the really beautiful things about motherhood. I think that's something that motherhood has given me. It's been a gift to say, release expectations, release perfection, and just be present. And it's taught me so much. I mean, now there's points where Carter's pulling everything out of every single drawer in my kitchen and everything is chaos. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) I just don't care. My mom tells me all the time when she comes to my house and she looks around, she's like, you've come a long way. (laughs) <laughs> because you know that I'm like very like I like everything like this and then she comes over and there's like laundry everywhere and she doesn't say that in a bad way obviously she's saying it like nope. she's proud of me for like letting go a little bit and learning to be present because sometimes you get so caught up in like the laundry or this or that that we m- miss those little opportunities with our kids you know spot on spot on it's it's having a house that's lived in and that is loved and that is raising small children and being okay with it i I love it so you were in college and this already started your motherhood journey but you still continue to pursue speech language pathology what created your interest in that field what makes you love being a speech therapist so um growing up i mean i have a, a a cousin who is autistic And um, I just genuinely enjoyed watching his language develop. You know, he's a little bit younger than me. And so I remember being eight years old and, and he wasn't able to communicate. And so he began speech therapy and little by little, it took several years. And now, you know, he began to communicate in full sentences and communicating his wants and needs. And he's, oh my gosh, he's accomplished so much now. He is 27 now around there and he works at chick-fil-a and he you know he works for uber eats and he does all these things now but anyway it sparked an interest when i was younger watching him you know develop these language skills so when i started um college I originally wasn't going for speech therapy because i was made to believe that you know i had to be more than that um, no, I'm not saying my parents, just in general, you know, like society. society. Yeah. 
So, um, and I was always that perfectionist A1A student. So like I had to be something big, you know, like, hello. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I, I went into college to become um, a pharmacist. Um, and I, I was working at a pharmacy and I was miserable. I was miserable. I mean, no offense to that profession, obviously, but I, it just was not for me. This wasn't for you. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to, I don't know, talk to somebody. I was counting pills as a pharmacy technician and I was like, oh my God, I need to get out of here. And so, um, I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter right before I'm entering, um, pharmacy school. I applied, I got accepted. And so I had a friend who was in school to become a speech therapist. And she's like, you're so good with kids. I don't understand. And I've always, I've always loved kids. I've always loved teaching. I've always loved play, you know, like toys and getting creative. Mm -hmm. And, but I also did love the medical field, you know? So I had like this, these split interests. And so she's like, this is a little bit of everything that you love, you know? So I started looking into it and I was like, oh, okay, like this looks great. Um, I got a job at a school, um, just like as a part time. And um, I just started working closer with speech therapists. And then I was like, okay, this is it. I love kids. I love playing. I love the medical field. It's a little bit of everything. And it's, it's a job that really does make a difference, you know? So that's when I was like, okay, this is it. And I, and I applied and I got in and I started. I love it. It's just another example too, of releasing those expectations. We talk about that so much on the podcast related to motherhood that to start to fix, correct that mindset of, I don't have to do what society says I should do. And to just follow your own path that sets you up to be a mom (laughs) because there's so much pressure. We talk about that all the time. So I think that it's such a great message just to say, Hey, put on your blinders, do what feels right for you, not only for yourself, but for your family. You can find success in in anything that you truly love. Like that is success, you know, not dedicating yourself to something that might make a little more money, might be a little more prestigious. But at the end of the day, if you're not happy, then that's not success, you know? Well, and I think Brenda, that's, that's our paths that we've chosen, right? You know, both of us kind of took this unconventional path and are just doing what's best for our family, but also chasing this passion. Right finally filling our cups. So that, that really leads into how you and I connected and everything that you post that you share on social media, that's inspired me so far. So one of the things I really love that we talked about that you post about is your passion for empowering moms and dads with strategies they can use at home, not necessarily having to find the special setting or go to this clinic and see a therapist in person, but just using the day-to-day to create opportunities to improve language. So can you give some examples of what that might look like? Cause I know that parents get overwhelmed by the thought of adding another thing, right. yeah. and I'm putting it in air quotes for everyone that's listening on the podcast, the thought of adding another thing that they feel like they have to carve out time to do. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of parents think that when their child is, their language is not developing, they get really frustrated maybe because either the child doesn't qualify for services or um, the, the doctor won't give a referral or there's so many reasons. But I try to explain to parents that 
The best place to work on language development is in the home. That is the best place because you as a parent have the most time with your child. You have the most day-to-day conversations, right? You have that those special conversations with your child that really make an impact, right? So I try to show parents how you can do this you can teach your child how to talk. You can work on language development even during during your daily routines, during the hustle and the bustle of every single day, right? So like during snack time, during bath time, when you're putting your, your child inside of their car seat, like it's as simple as that. We don't need to carve out time. You don't need toys. I mean, toys are phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but you don't need toys. You don't need those Pinterest activities, you know, to get your child talking. And so we can't all be those Pinterest moms. No, oh my no, goodness. We don't have time for that. We don't have yes. time for that. Sometimes people are like, oh, it's, it's you, you, but you have time to do those Pinterest activities. I'm like, oh, it's kind of part of my job, you know, like, so <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a, like a, you know, kill two birds with one stone. Um, anyway, so some, some, strategies that you that parents can use on the day-to-day is for example like narration this is a very popular strategy that a lot of parents know about but I'll give you a little more details on how you can use it so let's say you are putting your child in the car seat narration basically means you are narrating what you what you as a parent are doing or sometimes what your child is doing so let's say forget the car seat idea. Let's say your child is playing with something. Yeah, they're playing with a doll. You're narrating what you're seeing, right? Oh, feed the baby, give the baby milk. So you're putting words to whatever your child is doing. You're like a broadcaster, right? So then now your child is connecting the words that you're saying to what they are doing. The same thing as if you're putting your child in the car seat. Let's say you're picking them up from the floor. I wish I had a doll. You would say, up in as you put them in the car seat then arm through as you put their arm through their the little um the strap other arm snap like you're describing what you're doing one of the very important things about narration is that if you noticed in a few things that i was saying is that you're not bombarding with words because um it makes it easier for your child to analyze all the language that is being input that they're being exposed to and connecting the words to the action if they're not being bombarded by words. So like if you're putting your child in the stroller or in the car seat, whatever, you would say in, that's one word, right? You can use more. It's not to say that more is bad, but if you stick to shorter um, sentences and shorter utterances, it's easier for your child to capture and to imitate, right? Because if I was, if I were to tell my daughter, Audrey, let's get in the car seat, come on up. Like it wouldn't be as easier, as easy for her to imitate that whole sentence that I just said, than to just say, if I say in, she might be like in, you know, like she can imitate what I say. Again, I don't want to, I don't want people to stress, oh my God, I'm always using long sentences. No, it's okay. Just, you know, try to use shorter sentences here and there. You know, sometimes it's not possible and you have to use a long phrase. It is what it is. But, you know, try to use those short sentences. 
Brenda, so much of it seems just like the important part is exposure, just exposing them to more words. And Mm -hmm. I talk to moms about this a lot, especially when I work with them one-on-one is we talk about spending uninterrupted time with our children, just giving them our full attention. Because when we give them our full attention, and I know we're going to talk later about devices, which is, we could talk an hour about devices. I know we could. But when we give them our full attention and we have our eyes on them and we don't have our phone, our phone in our hand, because we're almost worse about that than anything, then we can pay attention to say in, up, down, and just, just exposing them to that language. It's so simple. It it doesn't like, I think as parents, we overthink it, but it's, it's just how important it is for them to hear those words. Definitely. And a lot of times because we might be stressed because we're running somewhere or we might be late or we have 10 million thoughts in our head. Because even me as a speech therapist, like yesterday, I was bathing my daughter and I was bathing her in complete silence. I was just going through the motion. And I don't like, again, this is not to guilt anybody like, oh, my God, I'm just or forcing you to talk. It's okay to be quiet sometimes. Like sometimes you just need a moment and that's okay too, you know? Um, So then I was bathing her and I was just, I was just tired from the day. It was, you know, kind of right before bedtime. And I was just going through the motions without talking. And I'm like, man, this is, I have four kids. It's very hard for me to spend one-on-one time with each of them because of time, you Mm -hmm. know? So I was like, I, I need to be, talking to her you know so then I started talking and sure enough you know the language started coming in she started talking and you know whatever but the point is that sometimes we do things we go through the motions and we don't we don't use those small little opportunities that we can to expose them to words and language and get them imitating and you know etc absolutely yeah so then another um another strategy that you can use during your daily routines is repetition. So a child needs to hear a word many times and in many different ways for them to understand what the word means. And um, because if you were just to say phone, like one time, that's not enough for them to learn like, okay, that's the phone. This is how you use the word phone. You know, like for example, when you're play- when you're with water, you, you're trying to teach your child water. So that's a very important first word. You can use water in a lot of different ways. Drink water, pour water, more water. So you're exposing your child to a bunch of different ways on how to use that word in short and simple sentences um, so that they can learn, oh, that's water. And you can use water like this and you can use water like that. And then now they know that when they want to use the word water, they have more examples on how to use water. So repetition is very, very important. And even during the same interaction, you know, like, um, if you're giving your child water, do you, do you want water, water, more water, all done with your water, like you're repeating that word over and over and over again, you know, with pauses, you're not like a broken record, like water, 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 water you know, because that would be <laughs> really annoying. Um, And then another way of using repetition, and this is probably one of my favorite strategies is called verbal routines. So a verbal routine is a phrase that you use over and over and over again, usually during the same activity. It doesn't always have to be during the the same activity. It depends on what the phrase is. So for example, ready, set, go is a verbal routine, right? So 
that's one verbal routine I would tell you, you don't necessarily have to use it during the same activity because you can apply it in different ways. But like you, you put your child in, um, in a swing, ready, set, go, or you're about to drive. You're taking, you're, you're about to pull out of your driveway and you're going to go to grandma's house. You're about to back up. You say, ready, set, go. And you start moving the car. Um, another one that I use at my house is, um, take a seat. It's time to eat like every time before every mealtime. So of course the, the point of verbal routines is that your child hears this verbal routine constantly. Right. And children again, learn through repetition. So when you're about to eat one day and your child is getting close to those first words, you say, take a seat. It's time to eat. They fill in the blank. Right. So that's one way that verbal routines can really help. And um, it also it also works in learning what the word means. Right. Because every time I say eat, we sit down to eat. You know, every time my mom says go, we start moving. You know, it's 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 matching up those words to their meanings. Another another um, strategy that you can use during your daily routine is gestures. So you can use gestures in a variety of ways. You can use baby sign. Some parents do use baby sign at home, you know, such as more. Um, though it has been proven by research that when a child learns a baby sign or a sign, ASL sign, however you want to refer to it, they are more likely to learn that word faster than any other word. A lot of people think that sign delays language, but it doesn't. Um, it actually, it, it actually speeds up the process of a child learning that word. I know a lot of families are not into baby sign and that's okay. I, I used it at home, not a whole lot. Um, I I'll be honest. I used more un- like I used more signs such as like, if we were reading a book and we were reading about a big bear, I would say big, and I would use my hands to gesture big. Mm-hmm. Or if we were talking about how it was hot outside, I would say it's hot and I would flap my hand to give my face air. Or if it was cold, you shiver. So you're giving your child those clues as to what those words mean by using these gestures. The same way um, with pointing. When you talk about, oh, go grab your shoes, right? And we're talking about maybe sm- smaller children who might not know what a shoe is yet or they're still learning. You can use, um, you can point and point to your shoes. So they understand, oh, those are shoes or grab your bottle and point to the bottle. And so you point to whatever it is that you're talking about. Look at the dog and you're pointing at the dog. So those are different ways that you can use gestures, you know, during your daily routine um, to, to really expose your child to more and more language and connecting those dots, right? It's not, the point is not to just like go off blabbering and just talk, 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 talk. You know, we don't have to talk. A lot of parents think that you have to talk all day. It's not about talking all day. We have to give child a child the space to talk, you know, because if we're just talking, 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 we're not giving them an opportunity to imitate or to take a turn in conversation. Because even if a child doesn't talk, they have something to say with gestures. They can point at something. They can look at something. When you see your child looking at something, they're communicating to you that they're interested in in whatever it is that they're looking at. And you can talk about what they're looking at. So it's not talking all day. We don't have to do that. But just being intentional 
you know, with what we're doing during our daily routines to really get our children learning. I love it. So many good tips. And okay, mamas that are listening, hear her when she says this is not something extra or something special or, you know, something that you need a professional's help to do. These are simple little strategies that you can incorporate into your day to day. It's not about grand gestures. It's about just these small opportunities that we already have with our children. And just like I said, keeping it super simple. So Brenda, whenever you think about language skills or markers that parents should look for, in your opinion, what are some of those skills that a parent should look for as a child transitions? Because I know this is one of your specialties is from infancy to toddlerhood to maybe grade school age. And how would a parent know when it's time to seek out help from a speech therapist? So this is kind of a tricky question because there are so many things that are important in language development. If I had to pick one, I would say pay attention to how many words your child is saying. Now, I don't want parents to think that that's, that's the only thing that matters because it doesn't. There is so much to language, right? But the, uh, the expression of words gives us kind of a picture of what's going on, right? So like if your child is not understanding language, they are not going to say words because in order to use words, you have to understand them. However, that doesn't mean that just because they're not using them doesn't mean that they don't understand. There are kids that understand everything you're saying and they are not using words, but that still warrants help because they're not, they're not using words. So there is a grand picture of everything, but I would say like pay attention to how your child is expressing themselves. If your child is not using words, if your child is having difficulty putting words together, you know, definitely seek help. You know, um, I would say that a lot of parents tell me, when do I know that it's time to, to seek help from an SLP? And I would say the moment you see that your child is not meeting a lot of their milestones, that's the time to seek help. It doesn't matter on the age because if your child is 10 months and they ha- they're not they're not even cooing or they're not babbling or they're not m- doing certain things then that maybe it's time to have a, at least a conversation with someone that that knows, you know? So sometimes people think, "Oh, you know, he's he's 10 months old and he's not talking yet or he's she's 12 months old and she's not talking yet so i still have time till like 18 months but there's so many milestones that come before that cooing and babbling and using gestures answering to their names joint attention joint attention would be like you and your child are paying attention to the same thing so if you're playing with a bear you're both paying attention to the bear and your child is able to do that so um i have a checklist a milestone checklist and it goes from 3 months all the way to three years old and it lists all the milestones that a child should be meeting again sometimes I'm hesitant to say milestones because I don't want parents to like stress over them I think that milestones are important to evaluate and see if a child needs help if you've already determined that your child needs help the milestones aren't important because then milestones are just going to suck the joy out of parenting so Milestones are there to guide us and say, okay, this child is doing good. Perfect. Okay, this child might need a little bit of help. We reach for help and then you forget about the milestones. You meet your child where they're at and you work with what you have and that's it. Forget about the milestones because like I said, it'll just suck the joy out of motherhood. Comparison steals joy. 
I have a milestone checklist that you can get either on my Instagram page or on my website where it lists all the milestones from three months all the way to three years old for expressive and receptive language. And it also gives some small tips on the on the bottom, how to help your child meet those milestones. And so they're listed individually for three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And then you can kind of see, okay, my child is 12 months. These are the milestones they should be meeting. And it kind of has it like a, a checklist format. If you see that your child is not meeting a lot of those milestones, I'm not talking about maybe one or two, but if majority of them they're not they're not meeting, then I would say that's that warrants a conversation with an SLP. And for anyone who's listening today, first of all, you know that in the podcast description for any guest that comes on here, I put tons of links for you, okay? So open up the description because I'm going to put her Instagram handle. Her Instagram is at tiny.talkers.speech, just so you know. It's going to be in the description. You don't need to write that down, but I'll also put the link to her website because she shares so many incredible resources that I know she'll reference throughout the podcast. And you all can go check out her page and check out her her website as we go. But there's so many questions I have, and I told you I'd be respectful of your time. So we are going to roll. Okay. So one of the things we both advocate for, actually, I was just doing this with Carter this morning is reading. It is so important to me. I have a personal challenge that every single day we read at least one book. It's, it's just something when I became a mom, I don't want to let myself fall short on that because I think it's so important. Now, when it comes to a parent sitting down and reading with their child, you share different things that they can do to maximize that time. What are some of the things that parents can do to get the most out of reading? All right. So it's always important to consider an age-appropriate book. Sometimes parents... So for example, when a child is working on their first words, we want to look for very simple books that have one to two words on each page that's how that's what's going to grab their attention and keep their attention right sometimes we want to read these long stories because they're cool to us and we see these books that are so simple they're like there's no story here like this is so boring but that's that's age appropriate for our our little ones that are really learning so we're looking for age appropriate books if you happen to have a book that has lots of words and you're reading to a child that has a shorter attention span don't read all the words describe what you see in the picture or just get to the point because again we we were trying to hold their attention because without attention they're not going to learn anything so we're looking for age appropriate books and don't read all the words if your child can't handle it get to the point describe talk what's on the page what you're seeing in the picture again gestures i talked about that a little bit earlier but when you're reading a book that talks about certain things that you can gesture like cold or hot or big and small or up, 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 you know, pointing and using all the gestures to describe what you're talking about. You can use gestures and then also give choices. You can always give your child two choices about, you know, which book they want to read and read books that support their interest. So if your child is really into trains, try to get a book that talks about trains or that features a train because it's going to hold attention. That's what we're looking for. The the more attention that we have, the more they are learning. Read in a way that is exciting and not so monotone, right? Because we want to keep attention. I keep saying that. So we are exaggerative. We're excited. Match your feelings to whatever you're reading in the book. And just be animated when you're reading to your little one. And another tip that I always like to share with parents is that when you're reading a book to your child, 
turn them in a way that they are facing you. A lot of times we read side by side and that's okay too. You know, again, or uh, there's nothing wrong, but there's just slightly better way, you know? So if you get the most out of it, (laughs) exactly. If you turn them to you, they are watching your mouth as you talk and you're able to see what they're looking at. So, So if they're looking at, at, you know, at the bear in the picture, you talk about, oh, look, yeah, that's a big bear. You know what, what has their attention. So those are a few things that you could do to really get the most out of reading. Reading, when we sit down and read, it's so funny whenever people are at our house because I'm like, I look ridiculous. But then I I check myself and I'm like, I don't care. I don't care because it does. If you're more theatrical and silly with it, it keeps his attention whenever we're reading books. So you know what? As a mom, it's like, eh. I have recorded myself for like reels reading to Audrey. Audrey is my, is my 18 month old. She just turned 18 months. And so we sit on her rocking chair every night and we read a book and I have recorded myself for a reel. And I'm like, wow, I look crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but you see her, if you really like tune into her instead of me she is like all eyes and she's like wondering what's coming next and Mm -hmm. she's like picking up on my tone of voice oh my mom is upset the character's upset oh my mom is really excited and she's like you I see all these emotions in her face as she watches me and she is like all tuned in you know and that's that's what you want It is what you want. And I think it's what we need more of on social media too. You know, there's so many accounts out there. If a mom is looking for an account that has a perfectly clean house and children whose outfits match perfectly, which by the way, I'm not that mom either. I'm not (laughs) even close, not even close, but the, the mom who's very poised and well put together, that's not real. That's not real. And so for moms like you and I to just share, like, this is me looking ridiculous and this is motherhood. I think that's what we need more of. Yes, definitely. And if, and I'm, I want to add one more thing, because a lot of people tell me like, oh, my child doesn't like to read. When you make it a routine, especially, I mean, if you don't have the chance anymore because your child is already a little older, but especially from a younger age and you make it a routine, you really increase the chances of your child really enjoying to read. And they just see it as part of their daily activities. We always read. We read every night before bedtime. Like it's just part of the routine, you know, instead of like, Every once in a while, they're not used to it, might not be interested, like really make it a routine to do it. And like just I shared a reel recently that just doing one book a day, one book and even a picture book, which research has shown just two to five minutes of reading every night makes such a difference. So just if you can do 20 minutes, which is usually like you know, that's what, what is, is recommended. And it doesn't have to be in one sitting. I do like five minutes here and five minutes there. Mm-hmm. You can't, one book a day is already making a huge difference. Absolutely. It's the small things. And it just builds their confidence around reading too. When they, you know, get into school age and they're starting to read more difficult book levels too. So, okay. Yeah. On the note of reading and just entertaining our children, 
Let's talk about toys and screen time. Mamas, stick with us on this, okay? I know these are tough topics, but you know on Moms Working Overtime Podcast, we're just here to get a little bit better every single day. And you're going to love the perspective that she has to share on this. So let's talk about toys first, because I think it's that perfect time of year. All the moms and the grandparents and friends are thinking about Christmas shopping for kiddos. So what advice would you give to parents when it comes to selecting toys for their children from an SLP's perspective and just thinking about development? Okay, so we always want to consider age appropriate. Age appropriate does not mean the age that's on the box. Okay, because unfortunately, a lot of these companies want to sell you things that have letters and numbers on them for your six-month-old who's not going to be reading anytime soon. <laughs> and so that's not age appropriate. So, Marketing versus reality. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't ever recommend educational toys as far as things that teach numbers and letters unless your child is three-ish and four-ish and they're starting to learn their numbers. But see, sometimes my daughters get gifts and from people who have very good intentions, this is not, you know, a jab at anybody. And for example, my my daughter got this koala bear that has like little numbers to like touch and press and stuff like that. And and she was six months. And I'm like, she's she right now they're not learning that. Right now they're learning like cause and effect, you know. Um, putting if I put a ball here you know, this is what happens. It comes out of there or taking things. You, have you ever seen that little box of tissue or it's not tissue, it's scarves. Yes. Keep yep. My daughter is obsessed with that. Thing. Montessori based toys are great. Yes. Yes. And so things that are working on the skill that your child is learning at that moment, like object permanence, cause and effect, problem solving. Trust me, your child has time to learn ABCs and one, two, threes later. Actually, research shows that if your child works on those things first, like critical thinking and problem solving and all those things, when it comes time to learn ABCs and one, two, threes, they learn them faster because they've mastered the skills that they needed before. So look for toys that, like I said, that foster creativity, problem solving, open-ended toys. Also, battery-operated toys, I would stay, I would say stay away from them. I Again, this doesn't mean like, oh my gosh, your child is doomed. They have a battery-operated toy. Don't right? go throw them all away. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not what I'm saying. I would just say like, if you can, just avoid them. Research shows that if a toy has battery and says things, for like, for example, if I had a baby that cried, right, a doll, when you squeeze it, it goes, Wah! research shows that it, because if a toy makes noise, your child is less likely to talk. So for example, if my daughter is playing with her doll and her doll cries, wah, wah, she is less likely to use that cry on her own, like pretend that the baby's crying mm -hmm. because the doll already says it. The same thing with, let's say a car. If a car says beep, beep, my daughter or a child would be less likely to say beep, beep because the car already said it. So they don't really have a need to say it. And research also shows that when toys have batteries, parents are less likely to talk. So like if I was playing with a car with a little one, I would say beep, beep, boom, all those things. But if the car is doing all those things, you tend to like just stay silent because the toy is already making all those noises. And so the flashy lights 
and the music and the excessive stimulation is is not is not necessary. I know parents think that sometimes those things entertain the child or help them stay engaged, but in reality, like it's okay for I don't want to say it's okay to let them be bored because they're not going to be bored with a toy, but they will fill in the blanks. You know, they will fill in the blanks. Your child can get creative and try to think on how do I, what do I do with this car? Do I crash it? Do I do that? They will fill in the blanks. The toy, sometimes I tell parents, the more the toy does, the less the child does, right? We want the child to do more and the, and the toy to do less. So look for toys that, again, just to recap, foster creativity and problem solving skills, try to stay away from battery operated toys. Some are good. For example, like my, you might have like a, for older children, a karaoke machine, things like that, you know, but for the most part, try to stay away from the educational flashy lights, singing all the time toys and um, look more towards toys that are open-ended. I love this part of the conversation. I just want every mom to hear that reassurance right there. I'll be honest, the battery operated toys in our house, when the batteries run out, we just typically let the batteries stay out. (laughs) There's so many battery operated toys that have been gifted to us that we just didn't replace the batteries in because he's so much more silent during his playtime when there's all this music and jingles going on and different sounds going on. I love when he picks up a truck and goes and starts making those sounds. And I noticed that as a mom. And so I, I love that. It's just a reassurance to moms that, it won't leave them bored. Just like you said, they will fill the noise instead of the toy, just filling that silence for you. So, okay. You're now them, you're training them to like, you know, like not to be creative and problem solve Absolutely. and not need something to entertain them. You know, a hundred percent. It's, it's almost, a, it's something I'm very passionate about as a mom. So I love that we talked about that and we're definitely on the same page when it comes to that. Now let's talk about the more controversial topic. Let's talk about screen time. And there's a thousand different directions we could go with it. This can be a really sensitive topic for parents. But like I said, here on the podcast, and I know that this is the way you feel about it too. It's just finding those little ways to do a little bit better because you and I agree that there's times where a mama just needs a second to get something done, especially you running a business, homeschooling, having four kids. So how do you coach parents through using screen time effectively without abusing it? So I like to say that I share the research and you make the decision. <laughs> I like that it. A very, that, that's a very controversial topic and people get very worked up about it. And so I will share the research and my suggestions. <laughs> and ultimately, you know your family, you know your family's needs, and you know what works and what doesn't work. No advice on the internet is one for all. You know, mm-hmm. like you as a parent have to be like, okay, that will work for me, that won't, or you assess. So, research shows that screen time under the age of 24 months, 18 to 24 months, is not beneficial. Uh, They show that children have a very hard time transferring what they learn on screen to real life. And so it's even the uh, the AP doesn't recommend screen time before 24 months. 
So I do not recommend screen time before 24 months. There are parents that tell me, um, oh, but my child is 12 months old and they need to be on a nebulizer every day for 15 minutes. And there is no way that they will stay still. So my advice in that point would be like, try to get creative. But if not, you know what's best. Medicine is required. It's not, it's not optional. And if you feel like your child needs the screen time for the 10 minutes or however long the nebulizer is, then that's your, that's your call. Like, I'm not here to pass judgment, you know, and I understand, I completely understand my, my daughter, thank God now she's on a pump, but she was on a nebulizer because she has asthma and it was very hard to get her to sit still. I understand that completely. I feel like, again, get creative Mm -hmm. all other options. Maybe that could be story time or you read a book and I'm always happy to give suggestions. But if you feel I'm not passing judgment on anyone, you do, you do what you need to do. From two to five years old, the recommended amount of screen time is one hour a day. I will tell you an experience with my children is that my, again, this is not from a, like, I'm not trying to show off or be like judgmental or I'm just showing Absolutely. you. We're all just doing the best that we can. Yeah. So my kids have never touched the screen at a restaurant. Never, ever. I have taught them that when we're out and we are at a restaurant, we talk to family, we look at each other's eyes, and it's it's actually really normal to communicate with family. So <laughs> we don't need a screen to like eat or to do any of that. I will tell you there are days that I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just whip a screen out right now. But I push through it. And my children have learned after a, a few times, you know, like of going out to eat and going out to eat, like after my fourth daughter was born, because we for a while we didn't go out because it was like, OK, four is too much. But once we started going out again, I was like, no, this is what we do. Like and they learned and I can go out with four kids and sit at a restaurant and not have to use a tablet or anything because my children have learned that this is what they have to do. The same thing when we, when we do groceries and the same thing when we run certain errands, like my, for example, my eight-year-old, when I, when I go grocery shopping, I want her to learn the lo- logistics of, of grocery shopping, right? Like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is how you grocery shop. As silly as it sounds, I make I make a list. This is bread. This is this. That we need ingredients for a recipe. We talk about a recipe. We talk about how I'm gonna cook it. We really explore. You know what I mean? Like she learns from her environment. She talks to people in the grocery she store. She's present. She, yeah, she's just present and learning from her environment. And she's doing that at eight years old because from day one, well, I won't say day one because I was an SFP. I, I'll take that back. I used to do grocery shopping with her when she was small. I'll be very upfront. I'm not scared to, you know, put myself out there. When she was little, I wasn't an SLP yet. I would put her on my phone from time to time. And then once I started like really learning and seeing the benefit of not having a screen and I took it away, it took some adjustment, but she was fine. And now none of my kids, we just, we just don't. And it's, it's all about learning to entertain themselves. It's okay for kids to be bored. It's really okay. My four girls come up with the craziest things when they're playing because they don't have, they're, they're off those screens, right? We need a lot. Kids need more face-to-face time than screen time. So yeah, those are things that I, I have come up with different alternatives 
for screen time, which I don't know if you wanted me to share about the alternatives. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what are things that they can do? Because I know as moms, you feel pressure to keep your kids busy. And again, that's a societal thing. I firmly believe I know as kids, mom did not keep us entertained 24 seven, but if a mom does want to provide opportunities for engagement or entertainment to keep her kids busy, what are those things that you use? So you're absolutely right. It's not our job to entertain them. And we sometimes as sometimes even me, I feel like guilty. I'm like, oh my God. I'm That's a lot of pressure as a mom. Like, God, I'm so dumb. Like, let them be kids, you know? Like, so um <laughs> it's not our job to entertain them. Um, but anyway, if I if I do want to provide that entertainment for a little bit, especially because I have a task that I need to do and I don't want to hear fighting or screaming or whatever. Um, I have done morning baskets. So like I set out a basket before they wake up of a puzzle, a book or whatever, some toys and coloring books. And it's like it takes away from the I don't know what to do or, you know, for my older kids. But for my younger one, my my three year old and even my 18 month old, I do set up age appropriate toys and they have their baskets. And I try to do toys that they don't see all the time. Because then it's toys like, okay, she just put it in a basket. Like she didn't do anything different. (laughs) I try to take out toys that they don't see often, you know, and sometimes in just presenting it, it's, it's different. Um, So I do those morning baskets and I also do a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. So one of the ones that my kids love at home is um, Pinkalicious. She has a podcast that they listen to. There's also Blue's Clues and Sesame Street, Goodnight Elmo at night when I'm like trying to wrap up my my night shift and I'm about to take them to bed. So we do all those kind of things. I actually just bought them for Christmas. I think it's called a Tony Tony's box. I always forget what it's called. Little Tony's. It's a little box that comes with different characters. And um you can buy like like for example I bought them it's gonna be a Christmas present. So I bought them Grinch. And I bought them Elsa. And so you put this little character on top of the box and it plays music from the character. It plays stories. It reads stories and um, the character talks and stuff. It's kind of like an audio. Yeah. It's really cute. So I bought them that. We'll be using that after December. So um, those are really cool. And I know a lot of parents use those in times of like when they don't want to use screen time. And we also... For screen time, we use, so instead of just placing them on the screen with an actual show, like sometimes I will do, for example, my older girls were doing this last night. They will do, which you have to be very careful with YouTube because of advertisement. <laughs> I have to be present all the time, all the time. But I was cleaning up dishes, so I was there. And I will put these art, like this this channel that plays art and and basically it's a dad that teaches you how to draw figures like unicorns and but it's tier uh, it's it's geared towards kids and so my 5 year old was drawing these things that I was like oh my gosh like i i couldn't believe she drew it because the guy is teaching her step by step but point is that that's screen time but it's like it's a better it, it's 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 a better way of presenting screen time of mm-hmm. using screen time we also use cosmo kids which is yoga which is screen time too but it's a better way of using screen time because it requires movement you know um so those are different ways that we use screen time differently you know not necessarily just a show but it requires movement and thinking and you know 
It's always about the good, better, best scenario. Nothing is perfect. Nothing has to be perfect, but there's always a good, better, best. And I know there's a mom out there that does have those moments where she uses screen time so she can get a second to breathe or she can get a task done. Maybe she works from home like we do. So what would you say when it comes to screen time and television shows, what would be like your top five or so shows that you would gravitate towards if you did need screen time for your kids? So um, some shows that my kids watch, my younger ones, is if you give a mouse a cookie, it's uh, I think it's on Amazon. Um, Sesame Street, it's really good too. Uh, the Blues Clues, which is the new version, it's like um, Josh, it's Blues Clues. There's a new <laughs> title now because there's a pink. Yeah. I forget, sorry. And then there's um, Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger is a good one. Tumble Leaf is good. Puffin Rock is good also. Um, there's a lot of shows, a lot of the shows on PBS are good shows. So when uh, you're looking for an option for screen time, what you are looking for is obviously high quality screen time that is slow paced, that maybe the scenes don't change so fast. You're looking for things that are fostering. I mean, again, educational shows are fine. It depends on the child's age as far as like teaching letters and numbers, etc. That's totally fine. But um, sometimes I've seen these shows that are really geared towards that. And it's for like uh, a two-year-old. And, you know, there's better options out there. And so obviously you wanted to match your morals at home and what they're learning. So you want to pre-screen them. And you want to look for shows where maybe the character is not, for example, like Caillou. Have you ever seen Caillou? Caillou yep. has a lot of, of whining. And so maybe your kid, depending on your child, if they see that, they might start showing those behaviors. So you want to look for more of like a storytelling scenario, like Dan- Daniel Tiger, that tells you the right and the wrong versus then actually like showing the negative behavior but yeah you don't have to feel guilty about screen time really what you want to stay away from is excessive screen time and 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 do your best to have your child off the screen until they're two but screen time is it's hard for me to stay away from it i i use it and i i don't feel guilty about it i try to like not abuse it you can also look for shows for example oh bluey's another one that i love look for shows that the that the episode is short sometimes like youtube content the show might not be terrible but then the show is two hours long and so that will be harder for you and for your child to disconnect from Mm -hmm. the actual show so if you have a show that is like bluey is nine minutes long i think most of them at least like on the uh, Disney Channel Plus um, app. My kids will watch like two or sometimes three um, shows because that will equal to like 30 minutes. And I will tell them, okay, you can watch two shows of Bluey right now. You mm-hmm. know, So that kind of sets you up for success because imagine having like a two-hour long episode. It's going to be harder to get your child off the screen because there's like no end point, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, um, 
look for shows like that that are slow paced that really uh storytell through good and bad behavior um that are that so another one that i mentioned i don't know if i mentioned this one it's i wouldn't say it's the best but my girls love it and my girls are getting older so it's kind of harder to like really daniel tiger they're like outgrowing it you know what i mean (laughs) they're like mom that's not cool anymore (laughs) yeah my little ones will watch it but the older (laughs) two are like uh so they like um the uh, Gabby Dollhouse. It was the mm-hmm. name was escaping me. Gabby Dollhouse, and I think she's cute. Her she they do a lot of like critical thinking on the show, and it's, it's semi slow paced and stuff like that. So I like that one too, especially for like the older crowd who might be because sometimes I feel like there's a lot of toddler advice out there. But then once your child starts getting to like the eight and nine year old, I'm like, okay, good shows for eight and nine year olds. Like it's <laughs> it gets a little harder. You know what I mean? It's just so nice as a mom. And I know it's helpful for anyone who listens to get concrete ideas. They, you know, they hear you talk about these strategies and and things to look for, but it's like, okay, Brenda, but what shows would you let them watch? And so it's good to to just get those ideas and get their gears going a little bit. But a lot of times on my page, I, um, like I have a, a, a reel that I'm going to come out with soon that lists like about 20 shows. I just can't remember them all. And honestly, my kids don't watch all of them. So so, so sometimes it's like hard for them to come to to mind. Mm -hmm. And I just pre-screen several of them before I like put it out there. Um, But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a post for like 20, but if you give a mouse a cookie, Sesame street, Daniel tiger, tumbleweed, puff and rock, bluey. Those are, those are, those are good. And PBS, they tend to be good shows. Perfect. I love it. Super, super helpful. Now let's pull it all together. I want to give you a chance if there's anything you haven't gotten to say yet. What is a message you would leave with the Moms Working Overtime community today, especially thinking about that mom out there who might really be struggling with or concerned with her child's language development and just needs that little encouragement? What would you share? I would say give yourself a lot of grace. We are not aiming for perfection at all because you will always come short. Just getting better every day, making one change at a time, you know, aiming to get better and better and better is is really like the best plan. You know, um, maybe today, maybe your child right now is in front of a screen for two hours a day and you're OK, tomorrow, let's let's aim for an hour and a half for a couple of days and just start weaning them off. You know, we're not aiming for perfection because nobody is perfect. If your child is loved, if they are fed, if they are safe, they have everything that they need, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And to reiterate the podcast, mamas, we are not going to go throw out all of our battery operated toys. We are not going to go take our TVs off the walls and hundred percent eliminate screen time. There's probably going to be a lot of tantrums and you're going to want to come after Brenda and I, whenever yeah. you're completely miserable. Oh. So it, it's really not about that perfection. It's just showing up a little bit better for your family every single day and listening to incredible mamas like Brenda that can just teach you and educate you and empower you with this knowledge. So I'm just super appreciative that you could take the time to come and speak with us today. And just so you guys know, 
I don't know if you want me to share this or not. It was her birthday this week. So you go connect with her on social media, tell her happy birthday, but truly use her as a resource. Like I said, I'm going to have her Instagram handle tiny.talkers.speech in the podcast description. I'm also going to drop her website, reach out to her, DM her. She's super responsive. I can say this because this is how we connected and we're able to learn about each other. And if you have a concern, I know I share this all the time, but mamas, you have intuition on purpose. You were designed perfectly for this role. And if you feel that your child needs some extra help, or you feel like some of these resources could be helpful to you, ask her questions, reach out to professionals in your own area, take action because that mama intuition, I guarantee you it's probably right. We always know what's best for our children. So Brenda, thank you so much. Of course, I'm so happy to be here. I have a ton of resources on my page that is free for parents. I have the checklist that I mentioned. I also have a free masterclass for parents to learn three strategies that they can start using at home. And then I have my course, but those are the two free um, resources that parents can get a hold of and really learn what they can do at home. I love it. Super helpful. Mamas, your reminder that you get every single time you come on the podcast. And I hope someone's already told you this today, but you're doing a really, really amazing job. We're so happy that you're here and we'll talk again soon. If you loved this episode of Moms Working Overtime, do me a favor Share it on social media or send it to another mom to remind her that you love her and that she's doing such an amazing job. There's nothing more incredible that we can do in this community than remind other mamas of their strength. I'm so glad you were here today and just know that I appreciate you an overtime amount.